Hi there, and welcome to season one of But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast. My name is Bert Scholl. I'm a two-time cancer survivor, a cancer survivorship coach, and the creator and host of But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast. To learn more about my coaching services and to see all the places this podcast can be found, go to BertScholl.com, B-E-R-T-S-C-H-O-L-L.com. Today's guest is Joe Schill. Joe is an archivist at the Corning Museum of Glass, and he lives in Ithaca, New York with his wife, his two kids, and their dog, Hamilton. Joe has been cancer-free for five years. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Bert. It's good to be here. Great to have you here. So let's start by telling everyone who's listening. When you were diagnosed and what kind of cancer you were diagnosed with? I was diagnosed in 2015, and it came as quite a surprise. But I had uh, a soft tissue sarcoma in my left thigh, essentially. And it's a cancer that often shows up in legs and arms. And it can sometimes be in the bone. Mine was in between the bone and the muscle. So it was Mm. kind of pushing the muscle out and making things uncomfortable. Is that what was your first sign? Is that what had you uh, inquire? Yeah, the what happened was I used to go for like three mile runs with my wife, and it got to the point where at the end of the runs I was really struggling to finish. My leg was hurting, seemed to be like very hard. The thigh like didn't feel the same as the other side, and it was mm-hmm. and it was sort of painful. And so eventually that led to getting an MRI and and that's when it was discovered. Hmm. Yeah, I was 47, you know, had been healthy, you know, my whole life to that point. And uh, so that was, was quite a shock. Yeah, and is there any uh, cancer in your family history? Not pervasive. I mean, I think I had a grandparent who had, had some cancer, but it was like a minor issue. Mm-hmm. There hadn't really been anything that I could point to and say, you know, that I was at high risk of cancer. Yeah, I had a, uh, you know, when the doctors ask that question, you know, they're saying, is there any cancer in your family history? And then they listen for cancers that are related to what you have, right? Because my dad's mom, my grandmother had pancreatic cancer. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have a couple second cousins on my mom's side that had colon cancer. Um, But, you know, I had stage two rectal cancer the first time and that, uh, when they heard about the second cousins, you know, I think they're thinking like mom, dad, and maybe grandma, yeah. grandpa with like something relatable to whatever we have. Right. But so you, like me, didn't have it either just out of the blue. Yeah, it was, it was kind of out of the blue. You know, I inquired at the time, you know, whether or not there was something they could point to. You know, we could see that like, oh, this is caused by this. And they said it's, they don't really know what causes it. And it, it's just kind of random. At the time I was working on renovating old houses and dealing with sometimes nasty materials, including asbestos. And so my immediate thought was like, oh, crap, this is related to that. But the doctors didn't think that that had anything to do with it. Hmm. Not that it mattered. Once you have cancer, (laughs) the causes don't seem to matter so much. It's more like you have it, you know, so you're kind of like moving forward. Uh, But it would have been... I guess it would be nice to know, just for my own knowledge, if there was any link to anything or if they could understand the source of it. Certainly would be, we'd like to know so that other people could avoid things and you know, yeah. avoid what I had to go through. 
Yeah, and you made a great point that when you got diagnosed, when you were first diagnosed, the mind didn't focus a lot of attention on how did I get this. Right. You're like, that's kind of irrelevant right now. Yeah. You know, occasionally I go there, but what matters is what do we need to do to remove this? Yeah. To end this process as yeah. fast as possible. Right. It was definitely a situation where like what what caused it was didn't matter. It was more like what what do we do now? Yeah, so it was in twenty fifteen. Do you remember what time of year it was? Yes, it was um it was in the spring of twenty fifteen. And uh, in fact I was working with my father renovating a house and I was very active, you know, working on that. Yeah. And uh fortunately we had mostly finished that, uh, but it did kind of cut things short. You know, I immediately went into, you know, what do I do now and what's the plan of action, so to speak. Yeah, how did you feel? So it was on your, you said your left thigh. How did you feel moving around? Once you discovered that there was, you say, a soft tissue sarcoma, you know, there was a a, a cancerous tumor. Right. So the, the tumor itself was quite large it was it was long it kind of was on the outside of my thigh and it ran from roughly from my knee or just above the knee up to my waist get out of town the length of your thigh yeah the stitches that i had like 70 stitches that went went that whole length Um, stitches or staples staples i guess you had a zipper going up your leg yeah that was pretty crazy and it did it did become a little more painful and um i think i stopped running <laughs> at that point but i still was able to walk and, and move around was it uh, doctor's orders that you stopped running or did you just think like i just don't want to yeah it was i think it was more uh my own decision of i understood now why i was in pain running as a you know as opposed to just feeling like i was out of shape you know then i realized oh there's <laughs> There's a problem with my leg. And so it didn't seem worth it to continue running at that point. And we, I was not running a, a ton, but so it wasn't a, that was not a big change, really. I didn't mind having, having an excuse not to go for a run. Yeah, but it, it sounds like when you moved your leg, when you really worked the leg and the muscle, you know, it must have been very present in your mind, like this tumor is moving. Sure. I mean, how big around was it? Sure. It was, um, I think it was fairly flat, but long. I didn't really have a good sense. I, you know, I probably knew at one point how, th- how thick it was, but, you know, imagine like something that's wedged itself between your femur essentially and your thigh muscle, um, yeah. just kind of pushing that thigh muscle out. It caused a, a fair amount of discomfort and it was growing. I don't know how long it had been there, but you know, it was fairly aggressive. Mm. So the doctors were anxious to act. My surgeon was anxious to remove it. So yeah, I'm I'm jumping ahead a bit because it was the whole process of, you know, doctors and dealing with different doctors in different places and making a decision yeah. where to go and all right. that. It just the reason that came to my attention is because having rectal cancer, it's an exposed tumor. So anything right. passing through your bowels is coming into contact with that tumor. And right. so I would regularly, like, you know, if I ate a lot of uh, food that was, um, you know, a, a lot of fiber, right? Like, I, I would feel it. Like, you know, say I eat a lot of kale or collard greens. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Like the discomfort. And it would constantly bring to my attention, you have this tumor. It w- 
And I don't know what it's like for folks who have tumors in places where they can't really feel it. Right. But that's something you and I have in common, that there is this constant physical sensation that was the reminder that this thing is there. Yeah. Like when I had the metastasis uh, the second time when it metastasized to my liver, I didn't feel a thing. It didn't affect me at all, except for, you know, the fact that I was dealing with a stage four cancer right. diagnosis. That's interesting. Ha- have, yeah, having it, having it like there, like for you to actually feel its presence. Right. That's a, an interesting point. I've never really thought about the fact that so many cancers are inside or in places where you can't necessarily kind of feel them. I couldn't directly feel the tumor in my leg. I could feel its presence because it was, it was making my leg so tight. I was very conscious of it on a physical level. And it did make it difficult even to just go for a long walk by summertime. If I walked for a long period, my leg would really start hurting because it was just too much pressure in that leg. And you're an active person. This is something that you'd like to do. Yeah. One of the first decisions we had to make was whether or not to take a vacation, which we had already planned and booked uh, to California. We had a week and a half, pretty solid vacation planned to uh, go to California and see some friends and travel around and go to the Redwoods and Portland, Oregon and that. And so, you know, I didn't know if we were going to be able to do that, if I needed to start with treatment right away. But the consensus was that while the tumor was growing, it wasn't like to the point, you know, where it had to be dealt with in the next week or two. So yeah. the advice that I got was that if you can enjoy the trip without worrying about Right, <laughs> this tumor, <laughs> then you should go. And so um, I was really happy that I chose to go on the trip and we had a great vacation. You know, the doctors loaded me up with plenty of like oxycodone uh, mm. if I needed it. I used some of that, but at that point it was okay as long as I didn't try to do too much. Yeah, we had a great trip. We came back and then, you know, it was kind of one last it was very one of the funny mm. parts of that trip was seeing some friends who lived there for a long time, but also some friends who who uh, had lived in Fall Creek neighborhood with us, oh. who lived out there and that we were visiting. And so, <laughs> as we were meeting people, seeing people, and staying with them, we'd have to tell them, "Oh, by the way, Joe has cancer." <laughs> <laughs> could you could you pass the mashed potatoes, please? <laughs> yeah. So so that was always interesting how how people would react, and I think that's probably something that everybody who has had cancer struggles with is like you want to tell people but you don't you're afraid of what their reaction is going to be mm-hmm. like on the one hand some people are you know over the top feeling devastated and don't know what to say and then and then other people might instead of showing emotion they're going to kind of blow it off like it's no big deal because they don't want to make a big deal out of it so right the the bottom line is nobody really knows how to react and it's awkward, but it's helpful to share. You feel like if you're not telling people, like you're like you're hiding something, you know. Yeah, it's so present. To not talk about it is almost absurd. It's like you know you have a massive scar on your face and no one's asking, and you're acting like it's not there. Yeah, that's how it is in your mind. And I've spoken to many people who've, especially people who've been recently diagnosed, they'll talk with me and say, "I feel like." Every conversation I have leads back to me having cancer. We can talk about anything. We can talk about right. the lawn. Yeah. And I said, I want you to know from my experience, it makes perfect sense. 
because that's where your mind is going with everything. Yeah. I want to stay alive. Right. And when staying alive becomes the priority, when that's like actually what you're dealing with on a daily basis, it changes all the conversations. Right. And so when we show up and we see people and tell them about it, it's like, I don't want to say anything, but like, if I'm going to spend like some considerable time with you, yeah, I've got to let you know. Exactly. And, and there's the folks who will be like people who will get very uh, scientific about it. Yeah. And it makes perfect sense, right? I mean, the first time I had someone close to me get diagnosed with cancer, in retrospect, I could see the first opportunity I had to run away. I did. Yeah. And she called me and said, Bert, where are you? Mm-hmm. And I started crying. I said, Mary, her name was Mary. I said, I thought you're going to die. And I freaked out. She's like, well, I didn't I'm still here. When are you going to come <laughs> over? I'm like next week. She's like, yes, yeah, I'll see you then. You know, it's, it's, and I told folks, uh, I had a blog I kept. Mm-hmm. And at one point I hadn't heard from a bunch of folks. And so I told in, in far more detail, I told that story about Mary and I let people know. I said, look, if you haven't reached out to me, I know you love me. And this is a crazy thing. I'm 37 years old at the time. None of us are expecting our 37-year-old friend to get diagnosed with cancer. Right. And it's confronting. And I wrote that just to kind of give them a pass and let them know I love them. And as a result, some folks actually did reach out to me and be like, all right, I got to come get a hold <laughs> of you, which good. is great. But I wanted them to know. It's like, this is hard. Yeah. People act all kinds of ways. I mean, and then there's the folks who say, I don't know for you, but you know, I've heard some pretty uh, crazy stories of things people say, and then you know, you know, in their mind, they're like, "Oh my God, did I just say that?" Right. <laughs> I had mentioned in the previous podcast, though, this one guy said to me when I told him that I had stage two rectal cancer, he's like, "Wow, a buddy of mine died of that a few years ago." <laughs> like, yeah. Wow. No, no kidding. Wow. <laughs> Sorry thanks, to hear that. Thanks for that tidbit. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go finish what I'm doing now. You know, wow. and, and I know, like, he's a great guy. He did not have any. He didn't say it on purpose. It just came out. He, it probably just walked, came out yeah. he probably walked in the house and hit himself in the forehead, smacked himself in the forehead. Right. Like, what did I just do? Right. Yeah, it's, I think, old friends who, who you haven't seen in a long time or people who you were very close with and maybe, you know, just don't see as much anymore. It's even more awkward. I found that one of my close friends, one of my best friends from high school, um, in fact, a couple of my best friends from high school that... I still keep in touch with living living upstate New York, one in uh, Rochester area, one in uh, Skinny Atlas. You know, so not that far away. Mm-hmm. Had a hard time with it, and both dealt with it in different ways. One one is more of a joker, kind of blowing it off, but also, you know, kind of ignoring it. Doesn't want to talk about it. The other friend was just like he was pretty shocked. He didn't know what to say, and even when I see him now or talk to him, I think it really affected him in like in a big way uh as far as his own mortality maybe yeah and this is a friend who had actually had a heart attack of some nature might have been a a light heart attack but something long before i had cancer where it was like wow one of my friends had a heart thing and this was i want to say we were around we were late 30s maybe 40 fairly young for something like that he was Always a heavy meat eater and stuff. So yeah, I think in our parents' generation, like forty was a heart attack number. Yeah, but I'm not up to speed on the numbers. But I kind of get the sense that maybe that's not the case anymore. I don't, I don't feel like it's. I feel like it's pretty unusual for somebody. Yeah, you know that that age to get, have a heart attack. And, and this is not a guy who was like way overweight or had some sort of health issues that yeah. would have like pointed to like, oh, you're likely to have that. 
Anyway, this friend, I think, has struggled with communicating with me, and he's kind of come around, and we've we've had some good conversations since then. But the fact that I need crutches to walk, that kind of blew his mind. He kind of thought, even when I got cancer, that like, oh, I'd, you know, I'd be back, and everything would be back to normal, right? Right. <laughs> There's a new normal now, and uh, yep, and that's that's just how it is. Yeah. When I, you know, I have a permanent colostomy now. I think you know that. Mm-hmm. And if it's hot outside and I go swimming, and at this point in my life now, you know, I had the surgery 2008. Right. You know, so it's been what? It's been 11 and a half years. Yeah. And if I want to go swimming, I just go swimming and there it is flapping in the wind. And there was a time in the beginning when that was not the case. I was far too uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was able to hide the change, you know? You right. don't have the option of hiding right. it. Right. I, uh, I I chose to hide it, and then eventually I became comfortable and got in the water. And I, you know, if I'm swimming with friends, I was at a buddy's house swimming, and some other friends that I didn't know as well that he was close with, they came up, and my buddy yelled over to me, "So you can just swim in the pool with that thing on there? It doesn't come off or anything." And I knew what he was doing. He was trying to give the friends who just rolled up, like you know, the heads up, like it's totally cool. You don't have to act like you know you don't see it. You know, however, right. You know, kids are great. Kids will walk up and be like, "What's that?" Kids are great, aren't they? With, yes. with stuff like that, they they're they're always ask. great icebreakers. It always yes. it always <laughs> it always cracks me up when when somebody's kid will will ask me about why I'm using the crutches or something like that. And some, sometimes parents get really embarrassed, you know. <laughs> yes, kids, like like I probably would be if my kids mm-hmm. were asking about something that somebody had that. That adults would, you know, not say anything about, but it, it's great because, um, you know, you can just be honest and say say what it is. They put it on the table. When uh, my boy was, uh, oh gosh, maybe he was five, you know, we're in Ithaca Bakery getting a snack and he says to me, some lunch or whatever. He says, Papa, is that a boy or a girl? And I said, I think it's a girl. He goes, I think it's a boy. I go, you know, he walks over, he talks to her, he looks at me, he goes, he looks, talks to him, he goes, Papa, it's not a girl, it's a boy. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just like okay. <laughs> it just got reversed on me. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's again, funny. No filter. Like, right. What's right. the big? You know. And I want to. So I want to look at the parents who he asked me. I didn't start this. Right. 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 <laughs> just yeah. Feeling uncomfortable. So that's funny. the parents hear the kids talking to you about uh, why you have crutches. You know, did you break your leg? No. Right. Right. What's more interesting? I used to get frustrated by it early on is that sometimes people will ask or kind of like make a comment that's like a rhetorical question or something about like, oh, you must have had a bad ski accident or something like that. And, or, or they'll just ask like, oh, you know, what'd you do to your leg? You know, <laughs> it's a, and so sometimes it depending, it depends how my mood is, like if hmm. I'm in and how it's asked and what the situation is. But, you know, I've, I've grown more comfortable with, with people just saying things and because they're not expecting to hear like oh i had cancer you know and so you know sometimes i will i will say that or sometimes if it just if it's clear it's just a really quick exchange i might just you know laugh it off or say like yeah or whatever you know not want to deal with it other times i'll be like ah you know i had cancer a few years ago and i need crutches to walk now you know but it's it can be awkward because the thing is other than the crutches I look fairly healthy and people see me right. and they think, oh, this guy looks, 
he looks active. He looks doesn't look like anything's wrong with him, right? Like in a permanent way, or yes. So they don't even think about the fact that this could be a permanent problem, a permanent situation. Yeah, and what, I think what you're pointing to is when we see folks who have crutches, you know, the minds I was looking for connections, and you know, people who's like, you know, maybe their legs aren't totally straight. And their arms might be a little off, and the way their whole body is, you can see right. like this is not temporary. This is not right. a broken, you know. And so they see you, and they don't see that, so right. they assume you must be dealing with something temporary. Right. And then they want to create a connection. Yes. And then and all of a sudden they're like, "Oh my, mm-hmm. I'm now talking about cancer. Right. I was just here to get a sandwich, and I'm talking about cancer." <laughs> right. <laughs> and for listeners' benefit, that I use uh, arm crutches, so they're different from regular standard crutches. Uh, and I found explain how those are. With they, you. They're also called uh, Lofstrom crutches. I've heard people call them Canadian crutches too. I think they they may have originated in Canada, I believe. And in fact, the ones I have are made by a company called Sidesticks, which is out of uh, Vancouver. <laughs> right. And they're kind of you can get different color uh, tape for them. So they, I have currently I have like an ice blue on them, and I have had red before, and Kelly green. Um, so. Every once in about once a year, I change the color now, and, yeah. and they've uh, got the clips for the for the biceps, right? Yes, they so have. They that's have like a, a cuff, like a, something that you can put your arm in and out of. Now, what's the purpose for that? As far as like what's available on the market and choices, like for me, using a cane or even two canes wouldn't get, be enough support. I need something more where my where I can put more of my um, shoulder and arm into. Mm. supporting my my left leg which essentially has no thigh muscle left in it like all the big muscles in your leg all those are gone so i have very little muscle there and so if i put a lot of weight on my left knee my knee does not give me a lot of confidence like you know i can't trust it so i really cheat to my right and i often you know rely on the crutches but even when i'm standing to just kind of stabilize me so they're kind of a nice in between of like like a standard shoulder crutch, which I don't know what to call armpit crutches. The way, what armpit crutches, the ones we see, the, the ones the you wooden see ones. everywhere. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Those would be. I I don't think anybody uses those on a permanent basis. I don't think they work very well on a. You know, they're great for a temporary thing, and but I think everybody who who needs crutches or something, either I guess it's kind of an in between of almost using like a walker. I mean, I did use a walker at the house for for a couple of years, at least a couple of years. And so then I gradually moved to the arm crutches, but it was a process. It's almost like having only one leg in a way, uh, as far as there are reasons to consider removing the leg and not having the leg there. And I think really honestly, someday, assuming I live for another 20 years or so, (laughs) Um, I could totally see the leg being more of a problem than a benefit because the other thing I'm left with with this surgery is the radiation fried my knee. So my knee and my left leg doesn't really bend. So Hmm. the problem that that creates is one that I've got to be honest with you, I've rarely met anybody who's really kind of really understood that right away. I'm sure physical therapists and that would, but... It creates so many problems that you wouldn't think about. For example, riding a bike, like not being able to bend that knee, I can't ride a bike. Now, there are some specialized bikes and that 
I've started looking into and I haven't pulled the trigger yet, but at some point I probably will get something. But I, a lot of those types of bikes are coming out over the last year where they compensate for one side over the other so that maybe I could pedal with my right leg and the left leg either not use or use like more of a push pedal as opposed to a mm-hmm. one that rotates in a circle around a sprocket. So do you mean a stationary bike or a bike on the street? I'm thinking of a bike on the street. Oh, no kidding. Yes, yes. With just one single push on one side. Yeah, those sorts of things are starting to come out as more people you know, want to be active and have some sort of yeah. uh, disability for whatever reason and uh, need something modified. And so I think there's a lot of people out there interested in building things like that. And so, yeah. it, it's, in fact, I have a friend who turned me on to, to a guy in uh, Alfred who works on bikes and is really skilled at modifying bikes and that. And so I need to uh, need to get in touch with him and see what he can do for me. Yeah, nice. I mean, with technology nowadays, it seems like it's going in so many directions. Yeah. Yeah. It's phenomenal. And with the internet, now that you can find you know, this niche market all over the country, all over the world, right? and then you have access to this market through the internet, people can find you. You know, and if you made that bike here in town, put it in a paper catalog, and how many people are going to be asking for that catalog? You yeah. Know, so, yeah. But with the internet, you can say, hey, I make these bicycles you know, for someone who only has the use of one leg. Exactly. exactly. I was wondering what kind of upper body strength that would give you if you're pushing, and therefore you have to kind of compensate with your muscles to keep it from tipping or leaning and as well as uh you know creating enough force well well, you'd have your body weight yeah it seems like it might be a nice workout yeah i think i think it would be i'm curious i have a question for you because you are mostly or almost completely using your right leg i'm curious if there is any kind of physical therapy you do or exercises you do to not create too much of an imbalance with the use of one side of the body or the other or is that something that that's no that's a good that's a really good question in fact i'm i'm doing some physical therapy right now and and i have in the past um it's been a it's been a big gap unfortunately i can't just do i wish i could just do pt like on a regular basis kind mm-hmm. of like even if it was just once a week continually but uh the way our healthcare system is you know usually they have like us and yeah. where like you go in and like yeah. they have like a goal and you can go for a certain amount of time um, but that, that's helped, and so I, I'm I'm wrapping up now. I have one more one more appointment. I've been going for uh, basically the whole month of January and into this month. I've been going twice a week um, at Island Fitness and uh, worked on different stretches that I could do. I did get on a, um, I guess it's a recumbent bike with the kind of push yeah. pedals. Um, and, and did some of that and um you know i've come up we, we came up with a plan for things i can do at home to kind of work things out stretch things out uh try to get you know at least maintain if not improve flexibility in the knee um and my left knee and so yeah that's something that's that's really helpful and now what I need to do is continue to do those things at home because that's those yeah. that's where it, that's where it really you know if I when I've done PT in the past I had a lot of things that were changing with my body as I was like recovering and it seemed like you know either 
couldn't do things after a while or think it, it just was different. So now I'm, I'm at a more static point where things are kind of have been the same for a while. Yep. And uh, yeah, I think having a, a reasonable set of stretches and workout things to do will help. You know, if it's, if it's one thing I've found that if it seems like a lot, you're not going to do it. Like, but hmm. if it's, if it's something that's, easy and doesn't require a lot of stuff like most of the things i'm doing now for pt i I can just lay on the floor either on my back or my side or my stomach and i you know i don't need anything any weights or anything like that all right yeah it you know so it's it just uh it, it makes it easy and uh you know makes me it doesn't give me an excuse like oh i don't feel like getting the weights out or i don't have this or that, you know, so I'm more likely to do it. And so that's that's one of my goals is to continue doing the things that we've been working on. So it sounds PT. like, yeah, it sounds like what you're telling me is going to physical therapy twice a week, you have someone holding you accountable. Yes. And so you do it. Right. And then once you go home, am I going to do this? Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've been, I'm 49 now and I've been, you know, working out, but mostly thinking about a good workout for probably the last you know 29 years yeah yeah <laughs> i'm noticing that i put a lot of thought into it but i don't really yeah <laughs> i've had i've had you know six months intervals six month intervals in my life where i mean i get into lifting weights or yeah. doing whatever and then i just yeah it's hard it's hard to yeah. uh, it's hard to maintain that stuff. I and mean, then you know i guess that's that's true for anybody cancer or not uh, right you know staying kind of doing things to keep your body in shape and so i would say uh you know, for for those of us with cancer, it's just probably even more important to do something for me anyway, like to keep keep things moving because there's certain parts of of my body that don't really wanna move or don't wanna stretch, and it's good to it's good to make those parts do do something. Yes, yeah, and what you're pointing to is like you know. By going to a physical therapist, you have an accountability partner. Yes. I think that's something worth mentioning to people who are listening. I mean, you know, that when we have an accountability partner in our lives for something we know we may put off, may mm-hmm. procrastinate with, you know, it's a way to really keep us on our game. Now, I just said I've been thinking about working out for 29 years, and the reality is I don't need to. I just think to myself, oh, it'd be good if I worked out. So, you know, I, and now I'm getting, you know, I'm almost 50, and I think there's starting, you know, there's going to be a fork in the road where it's going to be like, you know, Bert, either you're going to start working out <laughs> or your body is going to continue to acclimate to whatever you put it up against. Right. Um, and so far, I'm okay with that. But there are other areas of life where, be it my music, or even this podcast and what it took to get this going. Like, you know, I had accountability partners. I had people I told, I want to do this podcast. I love the idea of getting a conversation about what we navigate going through cancer. Um, I, I would love to get that conversation to the world. And yeah. have people hear this and know what it's like, wow, I'm not alone. Or, hey, I never thought of that. Or you know, just whatever it provides people. We, you know, the conversations you and I had when you first got diagnosed, it's, there's something so powerful about being involved or even hearing these conversations and what's it what it provides us you know if if it's nothing more than just the the uh um what's the word the camaraderie yeah um the connection that it creates uh i so wanted this podcast so i let some people know 
Right. And they said, okay, great. And they were checking up. I mean, like my sister would be like, so how's that podcast going? <laughs> Are there certain guests I, I, um, I'm hoping to invite or I'm, I'm going to invite? And, you know, she's uh, famous. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's going to be in the neighborhood, not too far down the road. And, you know, I got cold feet inviting her. And I think my sister just felt it across the country. She lives in San Francisco. And she's like, so how's that? How, did that email get sent out yet? You know, because if we don't have people holding us accountable... Right. Sure. Then we can just start to slack. And what you're pointing to is like, wow, huh, I wonder if I'm going to be able to do this without an accountability partner. And I find that having one or more accountability partners is how we get through this. I mean, hell, sometimes it's how you get through the diagnosis. With a spouse, for instance, Mm -hmm. they may not know that they're your accountability partner. Yeah. But they are because, you know, because you're looking at like, okay, I got to get through this day. I'm supposed to do X, Y, and Z. And uh, exactly. Exactly. Man, how am I going to do this? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my wife, Leslie, definitely encouraged me to, to get to the doctor and then uh, was very proactive in helping me navigate everything that needed to be navigated along the way. Um, and so, yeah, it was, you know, which brings up another point, like dealing dealing with cancer. I think you and I have talked about this before, like having people to help you get through it, you know, in the short term and the long term. Yeah. is super helpful. I mean, I often think about older folks who might not have a, a good support network if they don't have kids around or don't have kids mm-hmm. or whatever, um, how incredibly difficult that would be. You know, I felt fortunate in having a, a good support network and, and my spouse, um, you know, the Kid, you know the kids were great. I don't yeah. know if I would call it their, their support network. They don't know it, but you know they're <laughs> just there and make you feel like you have something to live for. Uh, but you know yes. my my parents are close by, and um, I have a brother in upstate New York, and 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 everybody. You know my extended family was all very supportive. So that was it was helpful. Helpful. It is. It's it's super helpful to have family who can be supportive. Uh, you know, some family members, you know, they kind of, like your friend, they can kind of freeze up. Yeah. I've experienced that. Or, you know, or a very supportive family member who has a temporary kind of freeze up just because it just, yeah. they kind of just get really stunned by, mm-hmm. you know, what exactly is happening. But yeah, having people to support us, having, but as you said, having people to connect with us, people who've been through something similar right. or the same thing, you know, because you're just like, you know, what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> As much as you can connect with your loved ones, family or friends, if they haven't had a cancer diagnosis, mm-hmm. you know you can look in the eyes of someone who has been diagnosed with cancer, and sometimes you, you can just watch a ball game. You don't even need to talk about it. It's just when you're going through it, you know, it's just like yeah. okay, this person has a pretty good idea of what's going on in my head right now. Right, and uh, you know, it's it sounds like I'm you know I'm, I'm talking about a separateness. You know, it's it. As you know, it's not a club that we want to have. <laughs> we don't want to have a separate, <laughs> secret handshake group, right. a club that we're a part of. You it's, know, it's but it is. It, it, it's it's significant. You know, it's a it's it is. It, there's, it's really valuable to have people in our lives that yeah. have been through this. Yeah, it, it reminds me. I was thinking about this earlier when you were talking about the support network. In that, one thing that I feel is is kind of lacking and and you know part of it is me not being proactive about it but i feel like because the type of cancer i had was 
um, kind of rare that I don't meet other people uh, who've who've had that same mm-hmm. experience because can't you know once if I've learned anything about cancer, it's how different they all can be and like the treatments oh are gosh. different. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, it's you know we could have a whole conversation just about the different treatment plans for sure. I mean. Um, Mine, I feel like every time I talk to somebody about what what their process was, what the treatment plan was, it, I don't think I've talked to anybody who had a treatment plan like mine, and I, it didn't seem like mine was that odd, but yeah. just different. Um, but I, I would be I would be very interested in talking to other people who had the same cancer as me because with the the whole issue with the leg, like like I mentioned earlier. You know, is there will there be a point where like I feel that maybe maybe life would be easier to to not have that leg? Maybe mm-hmm. you know I still have uh, I still have I have a actually have a, a low grade infection in the um, the titanium rod that's in my leg that's been there since the surgery. Uh, and that was surgery was that also in two thousand and fifteen? Yeah. Yeah. So you have a low-grade infection in the titanium rod, and you've had that for, you're going on five years now. Yeah, so it's been, yeah, four and a half. Are you on antibiotics all the time? No, no. Okay, good. Uh, that Basically, I'm, I, when I see my surgeon uh, every six months still, and I, th- I think we're about to go down to a year and that sometime here. I, I have an appointment in June, and um, probably we'll have another appointment in the fall. And after that, I think... We might start going to an annual visit. We'll see, I, because the uh, what I what I have with this this low grade infection is a situation where you know I could have they, they can't get rid of the infection because apparently these infections hide in the metal and they can't do anything to get rid mm. of them out of the metal. Like they can't just give you antibiotics and get rid of it that so it's really odd yes you know all the it's it's funny like all the different things uh all the technology we have when we can't deal with that you know it reminds me of questions i used to get frequently from people asking me or, or even just saying like well the muscle is going to grow back in your leg right like no, <laughs> no. I am not a starfish. <laughs> the muscle is not going to grow back in my leg, but I like your positive thinking. Yeah. Right? Maybe someday they will be able to do that. I I have no doubt that someday they will be able to, but that is uh, that is probably not going to be in my lifetime. But uh, the, the whole the low-grade infection situation means that I have to be careful. I'm not supposed to, you know, I'm not supposed to go in hot tubs. I don't go in a hot tub. I actually have, I don't know if we've talked about this or not, but I have a, an open wound in my, in my uh, thigh. Really? It's a small hole, and every so often, fluid builds up in there, goes because of the infection. This is what, this uh-huh. is what the doctors tell me, and it will essentially come out. It will leak out after a few days, and then its cycle starts over again. It leaks out of the hole. It leaks out of the hole. At this point... I, I'm proactive about it and we'll deal with it at home. But I might be out and all of a sudden my leg starts leaking. So I actually I actually wear a band I put not only put a bandage over it, but I use a cotton 
diaper that uh-huh. I put on my leg and just kind of hold, hold it there inside my boxers. And, you know, it might just randomly start leaking. I hope this response is okay with you. That's nuts. <laughs> it's crazy, Like right? your leg is leaking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's a hole. Mm-hmm. There's a hole in your leg. Can, do, you know, do you know why there's a hole there versus there's a leak that builds up and then has to be like, a, you know, how they... Um, you know, empty an abscess, sure. drain an abscess with sure. a needle. Like, what's up with this hole? So what I've been told is that the the um, infection prompts my body to react in a way where fluid goes to that area and including, like, things in the fluid that would fight an infection. Mm-hmm. So, like, the side effect of this is that I seem to never get sick. Like, I don't, I don't, I never get colds anymore or anything like that like because my body is always on hyper alert um which is wow. crazy yeah i used to always get cold i'm in the, the complete opposite yeah. ever since my uh cancer treatments yeah like i'm just like my body's like oh there's a cold can we have that <laughs> oh there's another one can let's, let's get is it a two for you know can i have that one too how about the flu if yeah i might get the sniffles a little bit but i never wow i haven't been laid God up with like you. just like a typical cold since since i got cancer so I mean that's one small benefit. Um, <laughs> there, no, there can be there. I mean I've had benefits in my life as a result yeah. of having cancer. So the fluid goes there to to deal with that, I guess. Um, and but what the the whole what happened with the hole was yeah. for, initially, I I, I got a um, I did get like a big abscess there where like the it just kind of blew up that area okay. and and then eventually the skin got thin in it opened up and that was pretty gross (laughs) um so now now there's just a a little hole there because you know this area was all hit hit with radiation so that's that skin won't heal that's the other thing so um it's the skin is that damaged from the radiation yeah not going to heal right and what about a graft that's that's a possibility um but i you know, unless I was to do because of this infection thing, that the only oh. the only th- solution, if I wanted to, if I were if I were to look at like okay, so you know, this is getting to be a hassle with the the drainage, and I wanted to stop that. I'd have two options. One, I could remove the leg. That would be the drastic, but yeah, you know. Uh, it would be an effective solution to that problem. It would create other issues, but um, the other option would like be like not having a leg, like not having a leg, <laughs> right, right? And then and then having to use the crutches. Like I can stand without the crutches, no problem. I can stand and I can pick things up, and that I can't, you know. But so I wouldn't be able to do that. I'd have to. Yeah, I don't know. Could I stand on one leg? I mean, not not like you could with like like I could now. So. But the other solution would be to um, go go to the hospitals, have a, have a surgery where they flush out, they open the leg up, flush it all out, remove the titanium rod. I'd have to be in the hospital for like a month for this. They'd have to put a spacer in there. I would essentially be, I'm not sure if I understood this, if I would be able to walk around it at all with a spacer in or not, maybe, but I would definitely be in the hospital and they'd 
they'd flush it out, put the spacer and put a new titanium rod in and, you know, basically redo everything all over. And then I'd be back to where I was when I was recovering from everything the first time, which would be, you know, very drastic. And there's no guarantee that, you know, that they, they wouldn't get infected again. Apparently, apparently these infections like cling to the, um, these, the metal that is put in bodies. It's really, uh, really not that, not that uncommon from, from what I've, I've been told. I, I don't know what the, the stats are on that, but, um, you know, how, how it got there. I mean, you know, it seems like every precaution is taken to prevent anything for like that from happening, but yet somehow, yeah. somehow it happened. I mean, infections get in the body. We yeah. get infections and our bodies deal with them. Yeah. And it sounds like your body dealt with one, but it got stuck yeah. in the titanium yeah. rod. Yeah. And so what we're talking about is if you want to stop this leak from happening, if you want to get a graft. Right. So, would, so then, yeah, like you were saying, that's, the graft would come. So if I had that surgery, they could take some skin either from my, we talked about this, my, my right leg or my stomach, I think, and take it and put it on that spot. But that there would be, it would probably be a really bad idea to try to do that now because that fluid keeps going there and I think it would yeah. keep building up and the pressure would, you know, be a problem. That I mean, that's what happened originally. Like this pressure built up, created this abscess, and if eventually it opened up. So until there is a medical breakthrough where they can determine and figure out how to kill bacteria that's in the titanium rod, the only approach, the only way of dealing with it and ending that leak, and, and you know, putting an end to that leak would be to remove the titanium rod. Mm-hmm. Get rid of the infection in your body, put yeah. a new one in, yeah. and then graft the skin. So your question is, do I really want to have them go in and take the rod out, put a new right. one in, and then have to go through the process of having the bone grow back into the rod all over again? How yeah. long does that take? I mean, this would be this would be like a it was a two year recovery process before. I mean, I'm imagining it might be the same thing. I, I don't I don't know. The question is. Yeah, I don't. I don't even know. Just the the thought of like being laid up for that long. It's uh, it doesn't sound very palatable to me. Is the uh, payoff going to outweigh the cost? Right. With the possibility, you know, that, and you could have it all done and be six months into this two year recovery, and they say the infection's back. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, with my colostomy right now, uh, I'm so used to this thing. It doesn't even really. I don't. I don't think about it for so much of my day. Right. And if I had the option to, you know, you know, wave a magic wand and suddenly I could, there's a way to like, you know, transplant and give me a new rectum and mm-hmm. everything from the rectum down. This is a huge surgery. Right. They have to cut me open in the front. They had to turn me over and cut me open in the back. Oh, my. And my buddy's wife once said to me, she goes, man, they filleted you like a chicken. And after I was yeah. done shuddering from hearing her say that, <laughs> I said, yes, they did. 
Yeah. Joe, I don't know if I would want, I mean, it's, this works, man. Right. Right. I mean, you, after you go through one of these massive surgeries, oh. you, you can put up with a lot to when the, 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 if the alternative is to redo it. Because so many things can go wrong in a surgery. Absolutely. I mean, that's my, my, I don't know how long yours was, but my surgery was like seven hours long. I, I, I think mine was five. I mean, that's, that's a long time to be under and like, you know. It's a long time. Up. It, it, it's, a, it's a significant hit of anesthesia. Yeah. And what I found is the anesthesia significantly affected my mind and my body. Mm-hmm. And after my second surgery, I was talking to someone, you know, because at first I had the, uh, you know, the, um, the, the resection of my colon and rectum. And then, what, two and a half years later, three years, uh, let's not worry about the math, you know, <laughs> I had the uh, liver resection where part of my liver was removed. Right. And the part with my gallbladder on it, it took that, it took half of, there's two liver lobes and they took half of one out. And I was telling a friend how, you know, it took me at least a month before I was back to normal from the anesthesia. Mm-hmm. And then I caught myself finally after all these years and laughed and I said, let me rephrase that. It took me a month before I believed I was back to normal. Mm. I don't know if my memory is as sharp. I don't think my memory is as sharp as it once was. And I've had a anesthesia for, a, you know, a lot of anesthesia for the colorectal cancer, mm-hmm. for the rectal cancer, a lot of anesthesia for the liver cancer. And uh, I had a back issue. I had to have a, uh, a little minor back surgery in 2000 and gosh, 10. So I had anesthesia for that. And then there was anesthesia when they removed the, a uh, hepatic artery pump. It's this kind of a, a, a secondary chemo oh. that I received and they had to use. So I've been under you know anesthesia a bunch and that stuff is, you know, that stuff's nasty. Yeah. And they don't know how it works, Yeah. but they they know that it does. And I feel like that's something else that I have to think about, you know, is just, you know, putting my body, you know, under the effects of anesthesia. Right. In addition to a huge recovery. You know, my my surgeries, you know, they were like, what, I'm guessing five hours, I think, yeah. you know. Um, and, you know, they have me, had me walking the next day in both cases. But, gosh, man, it was... It's a whole process when uh, my torso is, you know, stitched back together and it's just, you know, it, it was so stiff. Yeah. And, and all the movement and... Uh, yeah, it's, it's heavy-duty stuff. Yeah, so that, I, it, you know, that brought you to the possibility of just having your leg removed. Yeah. And what has given you reason to contemplate that option? Well, that's been... That's been a process too, and I I don't think I'm, I don't feel like I'm ready for that yet. You're talking about twenty years from now. I'm I'm thinking about, yeah, I don't, it's hard to put a number on it <laughs> as you get older. Like everything sounds, you know, too close. But uh, <laughs> when those twenty years become just, ten, they become five. Yeah, maybe yeah. it's not so appealing. I just uh, I just think that I would I would. I could see a point coming where I I would consider it. Uh, I I certainly, 
And what would prompt it, I suppose, is if I did have a a real problem with this infection, because the thought of like doing the surgery over again. I mean, if I if I felt like there was a, more of a guarantee um, that it, I wouldn't get another infection, you know, if I could feel confident that that wouldn't happen, I might consider that. But I just don't feel that confident that that I wouldn't. Uh, or because they don't really know what got it in no, there in the first place. No, right? and I, th- I mean, it's my understanding, and I I don't know for sure, but. That it's something that that happened like during the surgery. It's not like I got an infection after that. It's like something the metal had it, like I, you know, kind of thing. So, I, yeah, it's it's uh, it's hard to imagine going through all that again without you know without having a really high level of confidence that. Yeah. It wouldn't happen again. Have you done any research uh, as far as other doctors, other hospitals, and dealing with these kinds of infections? Um, I haven't. You know, this is where where Leslie, my wife, is. is she's she's the researcher. Oh, man, when I was stuff. married, Daniela was. You know, she she did. I didn't even bother doing research because it was exactly. it was embarrassing to do it after she would do hers and I would that's, do mine. That's 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 how I feel. Four like, hours in, I'm like, well, I found this one thing. She has she has like you know a whole book she's written. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Leslie's like, oh yeah, I saw that in the first ten minutes. You know, I've, <laughs> I've, I've, I'm ten layers beyond that. Yeah. So so I kind of I you know I've at, I'll ask her. And, I'm sure she's she's looked at that, and you know we we um, uh, originally, in, because this cancer was so rare, there were only a couple doctors uh, in upstate, like one in Syracuse, and then one or two in Rochester, that that did this kind of surgery, mm-hmm. and um, we ended up going to Sloan Kettering in New York City because you know they dealt with this a lot. Yeah, and so they're great. Went there, and the doctor I had there, he's he's since retired. Uh, he he actually was a strong proponent. Really was pushing me and trying to talk me into doing the surgery again. And I was kind of like, mm, I don't think so. Wow. And he's since retired. And interestingly, the doc, the surgeon who I saw, who initially. Uh, told me that you know confirmed that I had cancer uh, who was at strong is now at Columbia Presbyterian in New York City hmm. and I see her and she she's much younger and uh, she had worked with the other doctor at Sloan Kettering so they, they knew each other and they had yeah. a good rapport but um, she had a very interesting she has a much different perspective on it and kind of felt that um, it was kind of more like listening to what I was feeling and hasn't pressured me to to redo the surgery and in fact said that she has you know she has several other patients who are in similar situations who you know have the same choice that I do and she's like it is a huge surgery and it is a huge issue with your life in terms of you know your life being on hold huge recovery yeah. yeah so she's she's been uh, very understanding and she's basically said that my surgeon who who did the who performed the surgery at Sloan Kettering kind of felt more responsible and really wanted to fix it all right you know and had that 
and that's why he was so adamant that you know he would he would like just straight up tell me he's like well i'm worried you're gonna die you know like you know i'm worried you're gonna get an infection and die you know so he he really want i mean he whenever i would go down to see him he he was like ready to admit me and do the surgery like the next day no kidding yeah and i would be like i have plans next week you right know, i i'm in school i'm like i have a job and i work part-time and i can't just like pick up and leave you know like it's it's uh it's interesting because you know these are these are huge decisions and um have a have don't just impact yourself they impact everyone around you so it sounds you know i can hear what you're saying that he felt this responsibility and wanted to do it again it sounds like that was really getting you know he was creating an agenda yeah. Whether he knew it or not, he may not even have been conscious of it. Maybe he was. Maybe he wasn't. But regardless, he was. He had this agenda, and this. The, I was going to say new doctor, but like you know, the the first doctor you saw, right? She's now she can step a little further back and say, yeah, this is what happened. Yeah. And if it, if if it, if your body can keep it at bay, right? Then perhaps don't put yourself through all of this. Yeah. So. May I ask more about the leg removal option? Sure. Okay, great. So previously, you, or earlier, you had said, you know, maybe when you get older, you might just have the leg removed. And then mm-hmm. when I asked you, you were like, "Yeah, <laughs> maybe not so much." It's. I guess it's more of a. It's more of a thought, you know. Like I don't think about it often, but occasionally, I might reflect on, you know, just kind of like make like the, the pros and cons list. Like, well, you know. If I got the leg removed, I might be might be easier to, you know, uh, ride a bike or, um, you know, right now like I can't bend, I can't like get on my knees. Like if I wanted to like be on my knees to do something, which isn't something people who can get on their knees would even think about. But yeah. when you can't, because because your leg, one leg doesn't bend. Uh, it's it's really a nuisance, um, and just a lot of little things like that add up to prompting me to think about well, what what would life be like. Um, and the the biggest drawback is really that the it's a it's an issue of what's already taken place there. Because I will be honest, one thing that's very frustrating for me is to see when they show amputees with using like prosthetics and that mm-hmm. and doing all kinds of things like i get really jealous because yeah, the problem for me is that i would have to have my leg removed way up high it would be i mean most of the time you don't really think about this when you see people on tv or whatever and with a prosthetic it's it's uh below the knee or at the knee and but it, minimally you need to have your thigh muscle which i don't have yeah. So that that means that there's there's no point in putting a prosthetic on because you can't. I wouldn't be able to control it. And this is where technology comes in because I think someday yep. they're going to be able to figure that out. It looks like someday they will because what they're coming up with now, yeah, is pretty phenomenal. Yeah, and, you know what I've seen you know, a lot of like you know uh, prosthetic hands, you know, mm-hmm. with fingers, mm-hmm. and they're they're getting them to work. Right. I was thinking as you were talking to me about how you can't bend your knee. And I'm like, well, when's the last time I... Not bend your knee. Well, you can't bend your knee, but you can't be on your knees. And I thought, when's the last time I was on my knees? And I thought, ah, when I unplugged my computer to bring it here. I got down on my knees, and I unplugged it. 
Right. And then I reached over and I unplugged the uh, power strip so I could bring that as well. Right. And like, so you would have to do what? Lay on the floor? Right. So, so things like that. Yeah. Usually, what a lot of times I can do is kind of cheat and get on maybe one knee, I think, what I would do, and leave my other leg straightened out. But it's very awkward, you know? It's, and mm-hmm. so, like, that's it, it, a really good example because if I want to plug in something, especially if it's under, a desk or something yeah, like that. Exactly. Those are those are really that's really hard for me to do because it's hard for me to to get down and then reach and you know it's um, I'm kind of really off balance and and that leg is just really awkward there. So yeah, that's that's a good example. I, I find plugging things in or unplugging things under something is is a, a challenge. And as as I told you, I, I'm starting a job. Um, at Corning Museum of Glass as an archivist. Yeah. And so, you know, even at that, in, in that kind of a job, uh, I might need to bend down to get some, pull something off of a shelf. And, you know, if it's down low, it's just, you know, it's just a little bit more of a challenge. It's not that I can't do it. It's just that it, I need to be more thoughtful about it. And uh, yeah. it's not something I would want to be doing all day, that's for sure. But, you know, I can actually believe it or not, climb a ladder. Um, so I, I can hmm. do it. Just I just have to be careful and kind of go up. It takes a little bit longer, but I can I can do it because I can once I once I move up with my right leg, just like going upstairs, I go up, I just use my right leg, pull my left leg up, right leg up, and okay. you know, and with a and with a ladder, you know, holding on to the ladder with my hands and then going up one rung at a time with my right foot and then just pulling my left leg up. When's it's the first time you did that, did you have like, was the whole family down there having a heart attack? Like, Look, I can do this. <laughs> quit, quit freaking out. <laughs> it was, it was probably with uh, like a, a step stool, something shorter. But then I realized, you know what? I can, I can go up a ladder, you know, like, again, this is not something that I would do on a Daily normal basis, thing, yeah. but, but it is nice to be able to do like a two step or even a three step, stool at our house to get something at, at, at a high shelf i'm not a tall person so you know <laughs> top shelf is uh sometimes requires a step stool can you put weight on the leg or is it more just like a balance a counter balance i, I can put weight on the leg but as far as like kind of lifting it up on its own a little bit at a time but, but basically like going up stairs or a ladder i couldn't really Mica stairs, I can, depending on how the stairs are laid out, mm-hmm. if the riser on the stair is not real high. Gotcha. Like the steps at Fall Creek School, elementary school, they're kind of very... Kid steps. They're kid steps, right? Like I can actually pick my left leg up enough on that to go up, but but it's also it's also awkward enough. <laughs> If whenever there's if there's people around behind me, inevitably like I'll I'll stumble or something a little bit, you know, not mm-hmm. like fall, but like kind of because it's it's not something that I would normally do. Going downstairs like that, I can sometimes jump a couple of steps or something oh, yeah? with with with, you, with the crutches. You know, I can kind of like jump jump right. down two steps because it, again, those the steps are not they're not real high. So. The loss of use of the leg. You said the radiation had uh, had something to do with that. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the I would say this is where the different uh, treatment plans really comes in because 
you know, I did I did chemo, some chemo, and then I had my big surgery, and then I had radiation. For me, the my surgeon was not convinced that chemo was going to do much. I worked with a doctor at Sloan Kettering for the for the chemo. He came up with something to try, and it was actually a pretty lightweight, I guess I would call it, chemo plan. Like as mm-hmm. far as you know, I've heard horror stories about people with chemo doing chemo and mine was um yeah, mine I, was I not so bad <laughs> yeah mine was not so bad i didn't didn't really it didn't really work for me so i didn't do didn't, it for didn't that work long. for you what do it you didn't mean? work as far as like it didn't really reduce the size of the tumor or anything pre-surgery so. chemotherapy pre-surgery yeah how many weeks did they do um i want to say i want to say i did like one rotation or one i forgot the word cycle one cycle i think here at at cuga medical center but it was a plan that was developed at sloan kettering that's a real sweet thing uh worth mentioning that you know local hospitals can work in tandem with cancer hospitals yes for my second diagnosis i went to memorial sloan kettering Mm -hmm. and for like i said i was on two types of chemo but the one type of chemo that most folks are familiar with the ones that I did, you know, like every week mm-hmm. I was able to do here. And yeah. so they administered it locally following the doctor's orders from Memorial. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they would send the blood work to her and say, okay, here we go. We're good to go. Or, you know, they knew which pra- what parameters they needed to be within. Right. And when they were, they went ahead and did it and then sent her all the information right. and they could do it here locally. And then every five weeks I went and got a different cancer, different cancer, a different <laughs> chemo <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> from her and her staff, uh, in New York. And mm-hmm. so that's a, you know, I didn't, you know, when, when someone said, you know, why don't you go to Memorial Sloan Kettering? One of the reasons was, you know, my God, I'm going to do chemo there every week. How's that going to work? <laughs> exactly. You know, and then if I had heard this podcast and someone saying, oh, well, you can work with a doctor in New York. And, you know, because for those listening, you know, we live four hours from Manhattan. So it doesn't work to do chemo there every week. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we can do it here locally with our local doctors and then go see, our you know primary oncologist in the city. I mean, it, it, it's fantastic that they're willing to do that. And you know, again, with technology and with you know computers and the internet, you know, which has been around forever and it seems like now, but you know, it wasn't yeah. that long ago. You know, that wasn't really an option, right? Or I'm guessing. It, it, I I'm totally talking out of class. I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, I think probably things easier have now. Yeah. yeah, I think things have improved with with that. Yeah, I found uh, Sloan Kettering to be very good about working with. Cuga Medical Center and vice versa. Um, mm-hmm. Everybody seemed to seem to work well together, and um, so yeah, I, I you know it's been a, it's been just about five years now because I did that started that in the summer. It was probably in July, sometime in July 2015, when I did the chemo. My surgery was in early October, but I feel like yeah, you know I. I definitely lost a lot of weight during this whole process. Just wasn't hungry. I mean, that's one thing that everybody, I think, goes through this where things taste like metal and yucky. And oh man, I ate nonstop on chemo. Really? Radiation I didn't eat because they were radiating my rectum and it caused okay. me to have massive bloating. Okay. And I was just, you know, ugh, I didn't want to eat anything. Mm-hmm. I had chemo and radiation, so a little nausea and a whole lot of bloating and. Oh. You know, my wife at the time, you know, was like doing everything she could to get me to eat. Um, there's a company called Comfort Care Foods. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know if they still exist. I have to look them up. They create 
foods like you know say like a, a tomato based soup that's really astringent mm-hmm. and there's some bread that they make and cookies and the recipes they use you know really like you know hit the taste bud so you can get some flavor out of it interesting yeah and uh i heard about you know, well i don't need to go into that story but yeah i mean there because there, there's folks figuring out like wait a second like these people can't taste anything right and so you didn't have any desire to eat so much i didn't huh? have any, i didn't have much desire to eat no and uh i'm trying I to think remember. i gained weight on chemo <laughs> <laughs> i ate endlessly well so I, I i feel like uh yeah i only i did like the chemo for like a month or two or something and um I guess I was going in, I guess it was once a week, mm-hmm. maybe maybe more, I don't know. I can't remember, it's so, so vague now, like that yeah. that part of it. Um, but I don't remember it being that, that terrible. And I knew lots of people who had really bad experiences with chemo. I don't know, for some reason in my mind, that was going to be really bad. And I, and, and I didn't think radiation was going to be that bad. But unfortunately for me, um, that uh, you know the the surgery was was hard, and and you know coming out of that with with all that huge change in my leg, um, you know that was that was hard, and you know it was it was scary. They didn't know I didn't know if I was going to have any. Um, of, you know, one of the first things they were asking me is like, you know, can you wiggle your toes in that foot because they just ripped so much out of wow. that leg they didn't know so that was good and do you then, remember why they removed so much muscle I, I think they were um they were just trying to i i wish i knew more about the science behind it mm-hmm. but i my sense is that they that the um cancer was just getting into things and they were just trying to get mm-hmm. they they couldn't do a well let's go in with a you know, with a scalpel, they went in with a hand grenade or whatever. You know, like they right. just took everything out. And um, like with the colorectal cancer, um, you know, if you have the tumor in the colon in the large intestine, you know, they have to go you know so many centimeters either side. I think if you know if the tumor grows beyond the the intestinal tissue, you know, then they have to start removing, you know, other you know what whatever's beyond that. Um, but um, it sounds like you know perhaps you know there's a you know I, I think the word was margins or certain yes. margins you know they have to get a certain distance that. yeah a certain yeah. distance away from the tumor and to do so just in case you know they can't tell if it's going into that muscle right they just took a bunch huh yeah yeah and so <laughs> instead yeah. of a scalpel they used a hand grenade right goodness right. Uh, man they also cut like things that the lymphatic system in your leg that oh, we that have them mo- in our legs no that kidding. moves the um fluid around right like so this was this was an issue too where like and in fact i wear um one of the other pieces of <laughs> clothing i wear is a is a, a compression sleeve on my left leg and it helps keep the fluid from just draining down if i if i didn't wear it at the end of the day like my ankle my calf and my ankle and foot would would just look really swelled up but by mm. wearing the compression sleeve, it prevents all that fluid from just by gravity just going down. So you wear it on your calf, or you wear it? On I wear it's a I wear, it's a full leg sleeve, so it goes from my oh ankle my. all, all right. the way up to pretty high up on my thigh. It helps keep my my knee and that whole leg in general feeling a little bit better. 
Um, just keeps things together and prevents the fluid from dropping down. That's been helpful. And like originally it was suggested that I wear one that's like a sock. They make compression socks mm-hmm. that go up. But I was finding that I really wanted something that went up over the knee. And then I started searching around and and found some that, you know, I bought online that were um, covered the full the full leg. So yeah, that's that helps. As far as my, my surgery went, the I had the big surgery and then I did then I did my uh radiation. How many weeks of that? That was all I started in November, and I did it for two months. That's a lot of radiation. Yeah. And how many days a week? I was going five days a week. Oh, man. Yeah. It was brutal. I had five weeks of radiation. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, mine was the rectum. So, you know, basically getting a sunburn on my anus. Right. And then you get the sunburn on the sunburn. Right. And then a sunburn on the sunburn sunburn. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I know how awful that was on my leg and uh, mine was because it was such a big area, it took forever. And I was, I, um, each daily treatment, you mean? Yeah. I dreaded it because I was really uncomfortable. Not, it was uncomfortable on the leg afterwards, but during it was uncomfortable on my back because I was at a point where it was really difficult for me to like, you know, I needed to kind of be in in a certain position, mostly like in a, in a chair with my legs raised up, you know, like it, mm. because, because of this, whenever there was weight on my left leg, like I couldn't sit or stand for long periods of time. It, you know, I'm much better with that now. I mean, a couple of years ago, my body couldn't, couldn't do it. It was, it was really, um, in a tender place. So, doing the uh the radiation though like i had to get in these crazy positions on this thing and my lower back would get so sore i mean by the end like sometimes it was like i felt like i wasn't sure i was going to be able to stay in that position anymore i was going to be like we got to stop you know but i didn't how long um, would they do it for they got they got faster after a while but when they were first doing it because they had to do two positions to either like do it for a while and then they had to i had to they had to change and do it on the other section and it was taking them close to an hour to do it wow yeah they got it down to where it was more like maybe 40 minutes towards the end dude i think i I think i had like five minutes it was forever (laughs) i mean maybe i don't really remember but it sure as hell was an hour because i would see people coming in and out and like most people were not in there for like i was it was it seemed like uh, I felt like it was like a daily torture routine, you know, for only like, two months. Yeah, yeah. And like <laughs> you said, like the the sunburn thing. It's just like that's what I tell people. It's like imagine you had a massive sunburn, you know, and like and then you went out and just got sunburned again, and you did that every day for, you know, and it's just months. it's so painful. Oh my uh, gosh! And I can even to this day, like I have to put I use Aquaphor on my leg. Mm-hmm. So, I know that's done. That that really helps. Um, but, uh, the, the spot like in the middle, which I guess was like, you know, the center of the thing, which probably had like an overlap, like a Venn diagram where I feel like it got the most mm-hmm. radiation. Like that's always the spot that still, it seems to be permanently like in a state of like a pinkish red, where it literally looks like it's got sunburn. 
Because I noticed you, you've been rubbing your leg gently like this whole time we've been talking just about, or maybe just when you talk about it, your hand just goes it's, to it's, it. And it's just, like a natural thing. Yeah, I, I feel it. So they radiated oh. for eight weeks, mm-hmm. and you said that affected the knee as well. Yeah, so, the, so unfortunately, and this is something that I would encourage people to be more proactive than I was anyway. My MO was to like, okay, these are the doctors, they're the experts, you know, I'm going to express some choice, but, you know, I, I don't really know what I'm doing here. So had I a chance to do it over again, I might I might have uh, rebelled a little bit against the, the re- how much radiation, how, f- that it, how far it went down and affected the knee and maybe taking the risk of saying like, okay, like maybe we won't get it all which would be bad, but that would prompt like maybe the removal of the leg. But as my surgeon was quick to tell me, you know, at the time, if I, if this had happened 20 years earlier, that's what they did. They just removed your leg. So I just wonder like, could they have done the radiation and not gone down as far? I don't, I don't know exactly when I say that. I don't know that the tumor went to the knee, like the, the stitching, Stitches did, yeah, but the tumor was above the knee, but it may have been close. I'm not, I can't really remember exactly how close, but it just seemed like very unfortunate that the radiation had to had to fry every all the all the ligaments and things in there that make your knee allow your knee to bend. Um, basically, are just like stiff on my knee. They don't. And they can't be replaced. They can't be replaced now. Again. Hopefully someday. Did you yeah. get additional opinions? We... I mean, you went to Memorial Sloan right, Kettering. It's right. not like, you know, but... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we... I, I was at Strong, and uh, that's... And, you know, like I said, that the doctor who I saw there is now at Columbia Presbyterian mm-hmm. in the city. She's great. And so I thought about doing the surgery there, but we ended up... Once we went to Sloan Kettering, we didn't really get any other opinions. I mean was um like you said it's like it was like the place to go unless unless i wanted to go to texas to the other you know it's like sloan kettering and the, the one in houston i'm drawing a blank on the name but they're like one and two mm-hmm. or at least for my particular thing <laughs> yeah i mean for someone like in my position you know i could go to sloan kettering i could have gone to uh you know, could have gone down to Johns Hopkins. I could have, I could, right. I could have gone to Boston to whatever hospitals. Sure. You know, sure. Um, because sadly, colorectal cancer is everywhere. Yeah, yeah. You know, I did a local uh, doctor, and mm-hmm. then I went to, you know, I went to Cancer Treatment Centers of America, mm-hmm. went to Memorial Sloan Kettering, and they all pretty much said the same thing. Yeah. But yeah, I it just, you know, why does my mind go there? Because I hear you say what you went through, and it's just like, man, yeah, you know, because they. It, it also, you know, it makes me think with cancer treatments, you know, they, the smallest cancer cells can only be seen in a pathology. Yeah. Or if they happen to hit it with a biopsy. Right. And so there can be, you know, they see where the cancer grows through and then, you know, they have, their, again, their margins, you know, they want to make sure right. they treat far enough. And you're just thinking like, man, I wonder if I'd put, had I pushed back a little. Yeah. If they had said, look, you're going to completely lose the use of your knee. Right. And had you been told that and right. you said, what if we bring it up a little bit and mm-hmm. don't go so far down? What are the risks there? What, what's the probability of the treatment being less effective? Right. And then they might have said, well, Joe, you know, we could do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And, and you don't know. 
Yeah. And so you're and, just encouraging people to, yeah, to ask those questions. It's, it's a conversation that, that I didn't have. We didn't have. And I wish, I wish we had. Yeah. And I would, I would tell people, um, you know, to, to think about that and to, to ask more questions. Uh, mm -hmm. I probably didn't ask enough questions. I think there, there could have been some, some changes maybe. Um, and I don't think it was made, I don't really think it was made 100% clear, you know, how inflexible that my knee was going to be. And once, once I realized that it was too late. <laughs> Looking back, can you see what kept you from asking more questions? I think at the time, probably the number one thing was that I was most concerned about getting rid of the cancer. And that's what yeah. the doctors yeah. were definitely thinking about. When I look at it now, I think, well, of course, that's what the doctors want to do. They're not thinking about weighing the risks for like, well, what if, what if you only you dialed it back a little bit and took that risk? What's the worst that can happen? And what's the, what's the positive? Are you, do you want to take that risk? I mean, some people won't want to take the risk. Maybe I wouldn't have wanted to, but I at least feel like I should have explored that a little more. I really appreciate you saying that and being, you know, that honest about that to, because it really hits home for people. You know, it, I, I'm feeling it, you know, and it, it's letting everybody who's listening know like, hey, look, this is what I would have done differently. Yeah. I don't yeah. want you to have to go through that. Like um, I mentioned my friend Mary earlier and uh, when I was diagnosed, you know, she had obviously already had cancer. And one of the things she said to me was Bert, look, the doctors work for you. The insurance company pays them, but they pay them after your approval. You choose the doctor, they work for you. They have their wisdom, the knowledge and experience and they're all their training, but you get to say how it goes. She repeated that phrase so many times. She's <laughs> like, you get to say how it goes. Yeah. And I'll tell you, man, even you know, that that lifted me up because I had one doctor I saw down in New York, I did not like the way he was treating me. Mm -hmm. And I was getting a um, sigmoidoscopy. Okay. So I'm laying awake on the table and uh, he has students with him. And there's a scope, a short scope going out, you know, up into my rectum. Mm -hmm. And it has to go up and then he has to bend it and turn it and point it back down to look down at the tumor. Okay. And that hurt. And, yeah. you know, and he's telling me to take these deep breaths. You know, he'd ask me a question, I answer it. And then he'd ask a different question, I start answering it. And then he's talking to his students and not me. Mm. And so I have this scope up my behind yeah. in front of all these people. Right. And then I go to answer his question. He wasn't talking to me. He didn't, I want to, man, I have some attitude about it. Yeah. He didn't say to me, I'm sorry, sir, I'm not speaking to you. I'm speaking to my students. Right. I felt embarrassed that I spoke, and then I'm feeling embarrassment on top of like this underlying shame that I have this scope in my behind. And so I didn't speak up and say, hey, doc, like this isn't working for me. Time out, <laughs> right, time out. Right. Let me know when you're not talking. I'm like, doc, I'll look you know, at this point in my life, I'd say I'm already embarrassed. Right. If you're not speaking to me, can you let me know? And if he didn't respond well, that would have been a clear message to me whether or not he's a match for me as the surgeon. Well, I didn't have that confidence. And so I just went through the whole process and didn't speak up. And it was really difficult. However, with my friend Mary saying, you know, you get to say how it goes. I'm going to say how I responded to him. That was me 
being strong, if that makes any sense. It's like, you yeah. know, I mean, that's just one example. And it was a, it was, it was a, uh, it was a, you know, unique situation. But with my doctors, I was, uh, I asked a lot of questions and did push back a little bit um, because she had gotten, you know, up, up beneath my wings, you know, and, uh, and really just, you know, lifted me up and, and, and provided me that, you know, I, I have my own stories, you know, like when uh, I wasn't going to go to Memorial Sloan Kettering, my buddy says, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Because when I had the stage four metastasis, he's mm-hmm. like, it's four hours away. It's one of the cancer meccas. Like, why wouldn't you? Yeah. And I was just like, you know, my wife and I had split up and I'd lost my job and I was not, you know, and then I got diagnosed. So <laughs> I was just like the immediate challenges of like, I got to get to New York. It's only four hours, but it's still four hours and it's New York. You got to get there and, and it's a hassle. And I there's children. To, yeah. And there's jobs. And, yeah. and, and, and they only have so much flexibility. Like they want to support you and work still needs to get done. Right. And so, yeah, so you, you wish you had uh, asked more questions. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, eventually, you know, it's interesting you mentioned Johns Hopkins. I did, I did end up at Johns Hopkins at one point after yeah. that trying to look into some options for for what I might do with with my leg and if there were anything if there was anything with prosthetics or anything like that I you know I'm not a I'm a little fuzzy on exactly what we why we were going there but but Leslie's Leslie's family's just north of Baltimore so they're in the area and I think it was kind of an an easy trip for us to like make so and there was a there was a specialist there who had done some she had done some work on um some some really wild stuff where where she had basically flipped somebody's lower leg below mm-hmm. the knee around so that the the thigh was gone that's what it was because all right so the from the 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 lower your your um calf and foot were where your 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 hip would be, and then you had a prosthetic off of that. It was I'm trying to picture it now. It was really wild looking. I mean, wowie! So it was an attempt to basically put something that worked where where something didn't work, and then you could put a prosthetic on that. So you had a full full leg, but but yeah, it was kind of bizarre. And so we met with her. It, you know, it wasn't really it, due to my things, and I think it had something to do with the low grade infection and all that, which is just a it's a non-starter for any kind of surgery unless you deal with that first. So uh, that, that that didn't go anywhere. But you know, I did I did uh, also start to push back a little bit at, at Sloan Kettering with my surgeon there, who who was a great surgeon, older. He was an old Irish guy wicked Irish accent. Hmm. He could be very funny, but he was also the worst listener, like the oh. <laughs> worst listener. Um, and I would, I would like kind of give it to him. And he was very um, well known and respected. You know, I'm sure you had this experience with the established doctor and they have the, the underlings I, I used to call them yeah. that would be there. And they're, you know, I would, I would like just tell him, I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. You know, like, you know, to, and he would, he would be really adamant. You know, oh, you should do this. You're, you know, you're gonna die. And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> so yeah. we would have these, and the, and sometimes the the young doctors would would be like in shock that like me as the patient would be t- telling this guy like who was widely known as an expert in the field now, 
like, no, I, I think you're wrong on that. You know, like that's not the case or whatever. And so we, we, uh, I had actually started to see the other surgeon. It was almost like I was cheating on my surgeon. I felt like <laughs> one one trip to New York, I saw both. I saw, I went to Sloan Kettering, oh, and nice. then I went to Columbia Presbyterian, and they knew. Like, um, he actually, I think it came up. That's right. He he had said he. He's like, well, if you don't believe me, you should get a second opinion. I'm like, okay. And I, I forget if her name came up or whatnot, but um, it was very interesting because when I talked to her, as I had mentioned earlier, her view was was pretty different from yeah th- th- my actual surgeon. And I was concerned because this was she was somebody who had worked with him before. She was a younger doctor, you know, relatively speaking. So. I was afraid she was just going to agree with what he said, right. she, but she didn't. She really was more thinking what I was thinking, like eh, this doing redoing the surgery probably not really worth it unless you're, you know, kind of unless you ain't got anything going on in your life and you want to be laid up for a while. You know, can't guarantee that it's not going to happen again. I'm thinking like, yeah, I, you talked me right out of that. I was. If I was considering it, you know, I, I'm not now. Yeah. You know? So it was very good getting a second opinion. Mm-hmm. You know? Absolutely. So, and I was very impressed to see that she kind of stood up to this guy who, you know, had probably been like a mentor to her at some point. And, uh, you know, I was like, no, he's, he, she, she's the one that said, like, I think he, you know, it's hard for him because he did the surgery and he feels like he's got to fix it. And so yeah. he, he can't get past that. And that's how he's going to come at it. And uh, I was like, yeah, I, think you're right you know you uh also picked up on you know this big persona that he had mm-hmm. and you kind of like well, hold on a second hold like on, yeah. I, yeah and that that can I mean that turned around my relationship with my doctor something like that my doctor in new york dr kemeny who is absolutely fantastic mm-hmm. she's great but people will sometimes say you know she's not uh you know, she's not warm and soft you know she's not. <laughs> but in the beginning when i had this pump put into my abdomen yeah she said if you have any pain you let me know i said okay so after the appointment ended i went on my way and i was waiting for the next thing and i was feeling some discomfort it's probably from sitting all day you know yeah and so i asked to see her again and so i came and she goes what's going on i said well it's just feeling kind of sore and she looks at me and she goes oh i should have never said anything because you could tell it wasn't the pain she was talking about. Right. And I started laughing, and she looked at me. I said, Dr. Kemeny, let me explain something to you. This is my second time with cancer. <laughs> so just so you know, you can count on me to come to you with anything that's remotely <laughs> odd for as long as I see you. And she looked at me, and she said, okay. That's funny. <laughs> like, and, and you know what I was saying was, you, I see how people operate around you. Mm-hmm. They're very timid. And I am not going to be operating that way and kind of letting her know, like, I'm not going to be doing that. Yeah. And I get that you're extremely busy because she's so committed Mm -hmm. to the work she's doing. She sees so many patients. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible the days that, you know, I I watch them work, you know, I get that it's nonstop. But, you know, kind of like you did, I had to let her know. It's like, uh uh-uh. Right. Like, I get you're in charge. Yeah. (laughs) But... I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not going. I'm not going to cringe. I'm not going to pull back. Right. You know, yeah. It takes something working with these powerful doctors sometimes. It does. It does. Yeah. And so you, yeah, you opted definitely. out for his. Uh, 
Yeah, so Fierce it, approach. It, it actually worked out really well because I just kind of made the decision. I was at a point where I was like, well, I can't keep seeing two doctors. I mean, my insurance isn't going to be like, you know, why, <laughs> why are you seeing two of the same doctor here? But um, before I really had to, to make a call and, and like break up with him, I got a letter in the mail saying he was retiring. So it kind of worked out worked out all right you know like i just said oh okay i'm gonna <laughs> nice so you, it was just a nice transition yeah. to, the, to the stock yeah and uh presbyterian you know going into uh presbyterian from upstate a lot easier than getting to sloan kettering because <laughs> you you just cross over the the river uh in the north northwest side of, yeah. the, of manhattan as opposed to having to go drop way down and cut over on the side of Central Park and all that. So it's a much easier oh, trip. Oh, it's, it's it's on the west side of the island? Yeah. Ah, uh, you don't have to cross the city. Yeah. Oh, that helps. Yeah. That helps. So, Joe, I don't want to add more to uh, your leg, oh, considering you already have the the diaper you wear on the, it, and then you wear the sleeve yes. that goes from top to bottom. But I'm curious, would it make a difference if you had a like a brace that kind of held your leg to give you more stability when you moved around? Well, one thing that I have used in the past and I've considered uh, trying again, at least at times, is a, a knee brace. That that kind of helps with the stability. Uh, I, th- I think it's a combination of the the knee being kind of weak, but also the, the leg not having the muscle so that, for example, if, I, if I'm if I'm walking my dog, Hamilton, um, I use a, a a leash that I can wrap around my waist and like a belt, and then it, then it goes from my waist and mm-hmm. cooks up to the dog. But you know he's a he's like a seventy five pound strong dog, and uh, occasionally he'll he'll like uh, see a squirrel or a cat or something, and you know <laughs> make a lunge and. Uh, you know, so if I'm trying to plant my foot, like if you were going to fall or or something, and you needed to catch yourself with your leg by taking a step, that leg isn't gonna. It's probably not going to do it. You know, it's it's probably going to give way. It's not going to have enough yeah. stability. I don't know if I don't know if I if I've seen anything that's like a a full leg brace that that would work. But they're always coming out with new things, so I try to. Yeah. I look around every once in a while just to see what's out there, um, and sometimes it's interesting. Like the sleeve that I wear is really their compression sleeves that you know, you know, athletes might wear. Um, for me, I wanted something that it's a little bit harder to find because I just wanted. I didn't want to have to wear like they they make a lot of sleeves for your for your calves or for like mm-hmm. a sock that goes up, up to your knee. Um, or they make things that are compression shorts, um, or, or even full length ones. But I didn't, I didn't want to wear, uh, something over both legs, nor did I want to have anything that extended up that I was wearing, like that I had to put on like, a, like a, right. both legs. I just mm-hmm. wanted something for that one leg, but they, there are some companies that, that make them. And um, and it really makes a big difference. And my surgeon has has said that she often recommends compression for her patients. Now I don't know. You know, some people uh, might use different things and may have an issue in different parts of their leg. 
you know, if, if it was this kind of cancer can happen in below the knee. And in that case, you know, probably wearing a something that just went up to the knee would probably be fine. Hmm. But I think there's something about something about the, the compression that helps it feel a little, little more stable and um, makes it feel more comfortable to walk around. I, I pretty much wear it um, all day, except for when I'm in, in bed sleeping at night. Mm-hmm. It's on from morning to, to night. So you're just kind of, you know, finding your way as you go along. Pretty much. And, and that's another thing that I, I would say, I would tell people is the, the longer that you deal with, with uh, cancer, you know, the more you realize that, you know, nobody has all the answers and you, you kind of have oh, to man. figure things yeah. out on your own. Um, you know, you want to consult different people but uh i've talked to lots of different people and everybody has their expertise in a certain field and certain thing but oftentimes you know it's it's surprisingly how little overlap there is in in different things and how how your my particular issue anyway doesn't solicit a lot of expertise (laughs) you know i feel like Mm -hmm. i'm on my own uh, often with with this with with i mean i know i know lots of people have leg problems a leg issue for whatever reason certainly lots of lots of vets come back with with shrapnel and some kind mm-hmm. of problem with their with the leg either gone or or severely damaged you know there's just so many so many different things that can happen and how it affects you individually that you know everyone everyone's different everyone every every situation is different so what works for one person might not work for somebody else yeah and what you said earlier really you know points to the desire when we get diagnosed for there to be like a cookie cutter approach these are the odds and it's going to work this way right and uh it's like you know we don't even realize we have that expectation why would we were living our lives and we suddenly get diagnosed with cancer and we step into it and we're just like Oh, so you are going to do your best to do it this way. And if it turns out well, then the approach will either be one of these two things. And we're going to kind of navigate it here. Like you just want to go in, you want to get your treatment, you want to have it done. And you find out, well, that's not really how it works. And even with my treatment, it's still, you know, there's limitations to, you know, how my body responds. Like when I had my, uh, the liver resection. Mm-hmm. When I was in recovery from the surgery, the guy in the room next, no, the guy in my room, you know, we, it was a shared room, yep. you know, yep. my uh, roommate, he didn't, you know, he was cancer free. He was back in there because his liver had grown such that it was blocking his diaphragm from being able to move fully. Because when the liver mm. grows back after you have part of it removed, yeah, in the first 30 days, it grows back 90%. Okay. And they don't know what direction it's going to grow. Okay. It just kind of blows up. Wow. And then over the next, gosh, I don't know, number of months, it uh, it then grows the rest of the way. Wow. And his grew into his diaphragm, and they're trying to figure out, like, how, what can we do for this guy so he can breathe well? Wow. Yeah. I, I mean, 
imagine that one like right. just you just don't know what what's coming down the pike you know my uh the scarring in my body has has led to you know me having just to having to deal with that i have so much scar tissue you know yeah it's affected my body mm-hmm. and uh, that's a minor detail right but it's just you know it, there's so much there's so much unknown even in the certainty that they have with our treatments yeah yeah no doubt i mean it's uh it's funny because people have a tendency to think like friends um uh, people who who you know knew i had cancer uh often are surprised that like that i might still have pain and things like that and yeah. uh think like oh you're you know, you're all set now you know you, even you know recognizing that i'm on crutches and that but not thinking about the fact that there's there's long-term things that like you know I might need to be on meds, certain meds for the rest of my life and stuff like that. It's not it's not just like, well, the cancer's gone, so I'm okay now. You know, it's like when they take that much muscle out of your leg, that has ramifications that your body has a hard time compensating for that loss. And so, you know, I mean... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm on pain, some pain meds and will be for the rest of my life. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah as I did when people in my life had cancer prior to my diagnosis, you know, people think that, well, you're cancer free. Congratulations. All right. Back to work, everybody. Right. Right. And it took me like after my first diagnosis, it took me months and months to recover from the treatment Mm -hmm. because I was laid out from the chemo. I couldn't move around. I was so sick. Yeah. And the same thing happened the second time recovering from the chemo you know i did you know six and a half months six months of chemo the first time six and a half months of chemo the second time wow. maybe seven i think That's and a lot. yeah and it took months and months to recover from the treatment mm-hmm. i mean i was able to you know go about my day and do my thing but the way my mind worked the way my body worked the way i responded to everyday things in life you know there was you know my body demanded so much more of me yeah not to mention the emotional recovery and the fact like you know thinking okay i didn't die right like you know there 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 were positive effects for there were positive impacts on my life as a result of going through something like this and not dying you know sure. it changed who i was as a person but sure. there, there's still that you know that those days when you would sit down and be just like holy cow Okay. Yeah. Here I am, and I'm share with you. There's times you say, "Okay, here I am. My leg doesn't work. I'm alive, but I'm on pain meds, and I'm mm-hmm. gonna be forever." Yeah. Because you so say more about that because you just have chronic pain from the the radiation from from the I think I think it's I don't think it's from the radiation so much. I think it's more like what was um, from the surgery itself, I guess. Uh, so the in the surgery, I, I haven't really talked about everything that was was done there. So they took the they took the tumor out, um, mm-hmm. and then they um, you know they had to take a lot of muscle with that. But then they also they had to scrape the bone, uh, my femur. Oh, that sounds lovely. Yeah, uh, and and we talked. This is something that I, I did talk to the surgeon about beforehand because there was a question about whether or not to uh to do a titanium rod that would be essentially they drill into the bone and put this rod 
into the bone mm-hmm. because he was afraid that they were going. And this was like one of those things where they didn't know for sure until they did surgery. You know, when it's you know they they can't ask me at that point. Like, what do you want to do? You know, like, right. I'm out. Yeah. So the question was whether or not there would be they'd scrape so much of the bone that it would would leave the bone fragile so that it might fracture down the road a year or two later or hmm. later, which would be bad. I mean, that would yeah. be um, much worse than, you know, uh, dealing with it now. So I kind of made the decision and, uh, you know, I think with in, I was encouraged by the surgeon, but I, I never felt like he was saying you had to do it. It was kind of like, I felt like he thought like it was a good idea, but he wasn't sure to do the rod. So I, I thought, well, yeah, let's do the rod now rather than the idea of this thing fracturing at some point oh. sounded awful. Yeah, that does. So, um, so we did that, but so there's the, the rod goes up, but I also essentially in this process had a partial hip replacement. So, wow. so not only do I have wow. a titanium rod, but the, the part of your hip that has like a piece that goes into your hip socket, mm-hmm. um, that for me is a titanium piece now. So I have two pieces of titanium in my leg. I have the now, why the did rod. they replace the hip as well? I, I guess that was that was damaged. Um, they took a bunch of mass out of my my glute there. Um, so muscle mass. Yeah, muscle mass. So muscle mass, the muscles that ran down into the thigh. Yeah. So. There's a lot of upper left thigh into my hip area that mm. was removed. And I guess, I, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to blank exactly why that that piece was replaced. But maybe the, maybe the bone was suspicious or around the bone or something. So anyway, yeah. that, that seems to be where I get a, I get a lot of pain in that, that area. And I often like feels it's, it's one of those places where like a deep knuckle massage helps because hmm. it feels it yeah. often feels like kind of tight in there and a deep mu- muscle massage really kind of loosens things up and it, it just seems to get tight in there so that that's an area that that gets painful after like you know if i wa- if i walk for 15 20 minutes like that'll be the spot that that hurts that in my knee usually it's like those those are the two joints mm. and something there causes pain you know it's not so much in in my thigh itself, it's those are the two points where that are taking all the pressure, and so they seem to flare up whenever. Those are the first things to flare up when, so I, when I'm walking. In the muscle or the bone, the pain. It's, the it's more. I would say it's more like yeah, in the in like the bone or you know, Man. deep down, it's not really the muscle. Yeah. And so did they have to? They put the titanium. They put a titanium ball in there. It's yeah. It's the. It's the ball that goes into and the, the socket, socket as well. The socket itself is knows the bone. My oh my! Yeah. <laughs> Man, do yeah. you uh, get regular massage? I no, I haven't. You know, um, I've never been a person who was big into massage. Um, I did get some massages for a while. I think I I would consider doing it again. I had, yeah. it's been a while. It did help um, on the on that leg and. It, Definitely feels good to get like um, like a, a foot massage and and a calf massage. That whole left any the whole left leg any kind of manipulation yeah. feels good. I um, bet. Yeah. The other the other thing is my my left 
calf, that whole left leg down below the knee, some things got cut there that I can, I have sensitivity there. Like I could feel it if like somebody hit me, hit it with a hammer. But like when I just mm. touch it, it doesn't have the same level of sensitivity that my other leg would have. You know, it's kind of like it's it's a little bit dull. Yes, yeah, so nerves removed. Yeah. Or- Exactly. So there's a, there's some of that going on there too. It's just a, it's a whole smorgasbord of uh, of issues with that leg. And you still regularly see your surgeon in addition to your oncologist. I do. I see my oncologist. I was seeing her every six months for a while. It's more recently. It seems like it's been about once a year. Okay. Um, but I've been seeing a doctor, somebody at least every six months. And I actually see my I have a pain medication doctor that I see who, you know, he just, he's, he solely deals with my whatever meds I take. And it's it just a couple at this point compared to what I was on at yeah. one point. It's, it's very, very little really, but I had hoped to go completely off it, but that <laughs> my pain doctor is like, yeah, you're, he's like, you're on, you're on next to nothing now. He's like, I, I think it'd be a bad idea to try to go off anymore. We'll see. We'll see. Hmm. So when you see your surgeon, uh, is this because, well, just tell me, why, why, the, why the continued visits with the surgeon now that things seem to have plateaued? Is it because you still have the open wound and they just need to keep an eye on that? That's, that's part of it. I think... Which I think, still shocks me to, yeah. to think, but yeah. man, um, no hot tubs for sure. Right, right. So... I think it's um, just to keep an eye on things for like the five-year, you know, rule. Keeping an eye on things for five years, and then you're, yeah, you know, hopefully, hopefully safe, right? Yeah. But, no, it's yeah. interesting because you know me. I continued to see my oncologist. Right. I saw right. my surgeon for one follow-up. Right. And then I didn't see him again for five years. Once I was five years cancer-free, yeah. I took the pump out. Uh huh. The uh, hepatic artery pump that was in my abdomen, which they asked me to just keep in there. Yeah. In case they need to use it again. I tried to talk them out of it. I'm like, can't we just take it out? And they're like, and they say, you know, we don't want to take it out because we clipped the line. Yeah. And so, you know, there won't, there's not space for another line to go in there. Got you. So I see my surgeon, we get all prepared to take it out. And, you know, five years go by, I meet with him again, do the, you know, the, the pre-surgery meeting. And he says, uh, I said, yeah, you know, and, Glad we're gonna take this thing out, you know, considering that uh, you, know, you can never put one in again. He said, "Well, with yours, there was actually room in the artery, so if you ever need to put another one in, I can do it again." <laughs> and I was like, "Damn, wish I knew that four right, years right, ago." Right, right. <laughs> wow. Oh my goodness. But yeah, I, I I didn't see my surgeon for five years. So, so, so that's a good point. You're the, you uh, discussing that has made me think about this a little bit more. The reason. I think this is is that the type of cancer that I had again, this rare form of cancer, is kind of like nobody at Cuba Medical Center. Not to denigrate them, but it's just not something that they yeah, deal they with. They don't see it. They don't, they don't see yeah. it. So there's they're kind of like you know relying on Sloan Kettering to tell them what's going on, and mm-hmm. so that's that's why I've gone down there for to keep an eye on that because they they see the stuff and deal with it all the time. And, and so that's why it's been the case for me to, to rely less on the oncologist. 
But it's just um, interesting that with this diagnosis that there's continued visits with the surgeon. Right. To watch the process and to yeah. monitor it. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're coming up on five years. Yeah. And so yeah, then you will be in remission. Yeah. I take that back. When was there no detectable sign of cancer? That would have been That was that wouldn't after have been the until, surgery. Yeah, it would have been sometime late fall, I guess. So you're looking at late fall of twenty twenty. Yeah. yeah. I mean I was doing I was literally doing uh, radiation until December 31st of that year. I did like a double dose on the 31st. <laughs> Just for good measure. To, to get it. You know, but they say, you know, when there's no detectable sign of cancer, like if there was no detectable sign of cancer after they removed the muscle and mm -hmm. scraped the bone, yeah. then from that point, if there's no detectable sign of cancer for five years after that point, then they say you're in remission. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's a nice thing to hear. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> I didn't get it the first time, but I got it the right. second time. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that, hopefully. I, I, I don't think about it too much. I just kind of, you know, go look at things on a day-to-day -day basis, I guess, yeah. um, which I think is pretty common. I think it is as well. I didn't, you know, I, in my mind at that point, you know, going up to the five-year point, I wasn't thinking like, okay, get to five years. I was just thinking, I hope this next scan is clear. Exactly, right. And then every time there's an ache or pain in my body, I'm like, oh, I wonder if that's cancer. Right. You know. <laughs> right. Like have a, you know, my my throat's feeling weird, and I'm like, uh oh. Yeah. And then you know, just turn that off, and you know, not not stay there. But it's yeah. When I got to the five years, I was like, wow, okay. So in their world, five years is a great mark. Yeah. And what my doc said was, at five years, you know, if I get diagnosed again, what's probable is I just got cancer like someone else did. Mm -hmm. I also think what's probable is if I were to get it again, it's a good chance it's a result of all the chemo that I've had in my body because mm. <laughs> that can cause cancer. Yeah. But, you know, whatever. It's not something I give attention to. Right. But the five-year mark was, you know, I was like, okay, good. If, if it's something to you, then it's something to me. Right. Certainly. But, you know, I just had a scan uh, last December, mm -hmm. came back negative. But after the scan, prior to meeting with my doctor, the nurse practitioner pressed on my abdomen you know, above my liver and asked me to take a deep breath, and I did, and it hurt. Mm -hmm. And in the 10 minutes that I waited from seeing her to seeing the doctor, I'm like, okay, great. Here we go. And yeah. my mind started thinking, okay, so I could, you know, work every, you know, I could you know, have, you know, work one week and then have my chemo and probably the next week off. I'm preparing for the whole thing to yeah. have cancer. And she comes in, she goes, okay, you're all clear. We'll wow. see you next year. Nice. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's scary though. I mean, yeah, you, you don't know. Um, there's, for, for me, it's like sometimes I can, feels like something in the leg changes or I feel like there's a bump or something like that. And, at this point, I've kind of gotten used to it because oftentimes I feel like something's changing there. And from talking with my surgeon, that is a result of the radiation and um, some things calcifying maybe. Okay. I don't know if that's the right term. I may be making that up. But um, just things like that, you know, uh, a result of the radiation. And sometimes there's things in there that will get hard. I mean, we'll get like a, you know, I'll feel some some bump or something and I'm like huh I don't remember that being like that and I'm like you know because it, when I first started feeling things like that I'm like 
well, that's what the cancer felt like, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. So the mind, you know, grabs onto that, but there's been a pattern, and now yeah. you're seeing, like, okay, what's happening is the muscles are kind of adjusting and still responding yeah. to everything they've been through. Yeah. And so what there is to do is just be, okay, another bump, another... Right. I mean, the mind right. is going to do what the mind does, right? Yeah. You seem to be uh, managing that pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I I feel like uh, the new normal is that things change. <laughs> that there's that consistency is not necessarily going to happen. You know, there may be there may be changes, and yeah, you know, even if I'm not noticing it, there's probably some changes, but it doesn't necessarily mean anything. Yeah, exactly. The body's just yeah, just. Uh, yeah. Well, Joe, this was a great conversation. Yeah. I Thank you it. I so it. much. Thanks I really for, enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for tuning in. I truly hope this podcast was of value to you. Please subscribe and let your friends and family know they can find But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast, anywhere podcasts are made available. To learn more about my cancer survivorship coaching, go to bertscholl.com. That's B-E-R-T-S-C-H-O-L-L.com. The intro and outro music you hear is the creation of Saint Kid. You can find him on social media as The Saint Kid. See you all in the next podcast, and thank you so much for listening. The purpose of this podcast is to provide a platform for individuals to discuss personal experiences with a medical diagnosis. The host and guests are not medical professionals and the podcast is not intended to provide medical advice or psychological therapy. Whenever there is a concern about mental or physical health, please consult a qualified medical professional.